Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Raptors Reasonablest. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, the game, Triple H, the cerebral assassin, the man who's just that damn good, Eric Kareem. What's up, man? Uh, not much. Uh, I, I was just saying before the show, I've changed my alarm uh, to wake up in the morning to the game theme song uh, by Motorhead, rest in peace, Lummy. And uh, the, it's great. Is one of the best decisions of my life, obviously. But then I get the song stuck in my head, which was already a problem. It would already pop into my head. I would say that and the Big Show's theme song, like just oh, sometimes, God. just sometimes pop into my head uh, for no reason. Uh, so this is only making that worse. So if I break out in in that song which I, I don't think I'm allowed to sing on here because of uh, Vince McMahon's trademarks. I apologize. And and just in general, out of respect for the listeners. I mean, they've heard worse on this. Yeah. They, they're arguably hearing worse on this uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the game's theme song, uh, by the way, I, I did a piece for The Athletic uh, two summers ago on Ryan Brucky and his brother Matt. And how, like, they're huge wrestling fans and, like, their dad used to drive them to baseball. And in the parking lot before they went to the Diamond, he would just blare the games, the game <laughs> theme music to, to get them pumped up. Um, so that's what I think of now with that song. I've had two wrestling theme songs as my alarm before. Um, once when I was in, like, a months-long depression, I used the New Day theme because I thought <laughs> that it would wake me up in a better mood every day. That's um, a good. That's a good one. That's a good idea. Yeah, and I also for a little bit used Bobby Roode's "Glorious" that you've, you actually <laughs> speaking of you singing on the podcast, uh, tried to sing recently. I, I think I half sung it because yeah. I, I, I think rightly concluded that not everybody would understand what the hell I was I was going for. Yes, this is uh, our listenership is more of a New Japan listenership than a WWE listenership. So we're going to pivot from there to talk about the G1 Climax Tournament coming this September. Uh, huge risk for the Raptors because um, they are going head-to-head with the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. And New Japan superfan Joe Harris will only get more powerful as the G1 Climax Tournament draws nearer. So That, uh, I believe, is a known fact. Uh, Prove it over time by Joe Harris's World Championship performance uh, last year. Yeah. When America finished 8th. Yeah, America. Assu- assuming that's when the the tournament happened last year, which I do not know. The G1 Speaking climax. of America, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump was uh, not kind to the NBA this morning on the radio, apparently. Oh, I Friend of that. the podcast, Daniel Dale, thankfully tweeting out the quotes so we didn't have to listen to it. Um, <laughs> but boy, is that going to dominate the news cycle in a silly, silly way today. Thank well, God the Raptors don't yeah. have media availability today. <laughs> Um, yes and no, because it's always fun to see, like, if anybody pops off at it, but yeah, do but I, the, do the I odds want of to us ro- getting Kyle Lowry and Masai Ujiri on a, on a Tuesday after a back-to-back anyway are pretty low. And Do I want to write about it? No. Um, would I be entertained by some quotes? Yes. Um, we're heading for a second you bum is what we're heading toward here. I could, it could get more obscene, maybe. Let's let's hope so. Um, by the way, this is uh, Donald Trump's issue is that uh, with the NBA continuing to protest peacefully during anthems and things like that, which is a good time to remind everyone that the three police officers who killed Breonna Taylor remain free. Um, we as a Raptors media have been tweeting out links to different issues that the players have wanted to talk about, like education reform and the ways systemic racism reveals itself uh, in education, in things like voter suppression, uh, in things like uh, policing. There was a study from the Ontario Human Rights Commission that this week that came out and it was written up in the Toronto Star with a hilarious tweet of breaking uh, black people disproportionately subject to X, Y, Z and W from, from the police. And it's like, I'm not I'm not sure that's breaking. I know what uh, I know what they were going for. <laughs> yes, they were, the they were study going itself for the, just came out. Yes, that the is... results are the opposite of breaking. <laughs> yeah. Four hundred years in the breaking. Um, anyway, uh, a reminder once again that these players are not protesting the troops or the flag or anything like that they are peacefully protesting police brutality and systemic racism in america and canada and around the world 
Um, so please continue to actively engage with their message and earnestly engage with their message um, because it's not some Marxist conspiracy or whatever else you want to choose to to reframe these protests and these comments and these shirts and everything like that as um, engage with it earnestly and engage with it a lot because that's the reason that basketball was even able to come back, that we uh, engage with this stuff and that the players have this platform. I mentioned Joe Harris. The Raptors are locked into a 2-7 matchup with the Brooklyn Nets. We're going to touch on that just briefly at the end of this podcast, and we're going to come back with a full series preview podcast uh, a little later in the week or maybe early next week. It depends. We probably won't get the playoff schedule until all the seeding things are locked in because you wouldn't want to put Kawhi Leonard in that tasty 2-7-8-30 slot one night and then the Clippers slide to the three seed and suddenly Kawhi's playing at noon or something like that. Uh, so we probably won't find out until the seeding's locked in. But we'll be, we'll be back with you uh, with our Nets beat writer for a series preview podcast uh, before that gets going we'll also of course there are two uh, reseeding games for the Raptors left Wednesday against the Philadelphia 76ers and Friday against the Denver Nuggets uh, we'll have regular coverage of those but expect a quick turnaround to uh, series preview content because it is a tight window for a turnaround uh, we do know the the opponents we can get a little head start and these last two games are completely meaningless for the Raptors beyond getting healthy. Uh, also, if you didn't see the news, that Friday game that didn't have a time before, the Raptors will close out the reseeding schedule at 1.30 on Friday against Jamal Murray and your Denver Nuggets. Uh, bowl, bowl against Chris Boucher. Let's go. Here's a preview of the, of the playoff preview podcast, though. Fuck Brooklyn, like. Yes. What is it? I tweeted something the other day with the F word in it and uh, then deleted it because I don't like to have tweets with the F word in it all that often. But it was fuck whatever hotel Brooklyn's staying at um, because they're not actually based in Brooklyn right now. But I can't remember the name of the hotel. Yeah, it's not the Grand Destino. I'll tell you that. Yes, that's uh, the rules. Champions, potential champions only in the Grand Destino. (laughs) The the rules of the 2014 series have... uh flipped dramatically uh, yes they yeah. have and you know this will be the third time that um the raptors and nets are playing in a playoff series and it'll be the first time that the raptors win one of those series so that'll be nice wow just spoiling our playoff previews uh, all of the them. grand floridian by the way f the grand floridian oh, well, said. That's sorry perfect. sorry we said the fuck word earlier i will censor it now and say f the grand floridian <laughs> uh well Florida man, the Florida man. Well, it's just called, we could call them that for the whole series. Yes. Uh, all right. Before, like I said, we're going to um, have all that series preview content for you later in the week. Uh, as a reminder, theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off a subscription. If you do not already subscribe and would like to check out our playoff content, we have some pretty good deep dives heading into each series coming up. And then obviously uh, things like game night coverage. My Raptors recalibrations, keeping up with the stories of the series as much as we can. Um, and we'll try to, as much as is reasonable, um, collaborate with beat writers from the opponent teams. Uh, that way we get those alternate perspectives as well. And as a reminder, if you subscribe to The Athletic for the Raptors, you do get things like the Nets coverage and the Heat coverage and Celtics and Bucks and all that stuff. Uh, we have a pretty good staff in this Eastern Conference playoff picture. So um, please do that because uh, we would like to stay employed. And, uh, yeah, now we can talk about the actual games that have happened. Eric, uh, the Raptors are now locked into the two-seed in the Eastern Conference. Despite losing to the Boston Celtics on Friday, they lost in uh, an ugly one, 122-100. to But they bounced back. They beat the Grizzlies for the Naismith Cup. They beat the Bucks with no Giannis, Lowry, Van Vliet, or Ibaka. Uh, they now have won 50 games yet again. Uh, it's like, I think, seven straight years that they've topped the old franchise record for wins in a season. Um, they become, I think, just the fifth NBA champion to improve their regular season winning percentage the next year, uh, which is pretty incredible. Eric, they're in uh, they're in good shape, big picture, I think. Yes. They're a good team, is what I'm trying to say. I, I think that's accurate. I think they are good. And they are one of the six best teams in the NBA, I would say. Are you including Houston as the number six there? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's fine. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. I mean, so, and, I couldn't... And Boston would be the fifth, I'd imagine, right? Absolutely. 
Cool. Absolutely. Um, should we talk about Boston? Or yeah, sure. we could talk about that game. Like, like I guess the biggest thing I'm curious about it from your take, and obviously, you know, that was not the Raptors' best game. I, I think a lot of that, and the Raptors would tell you as much, was it fell more in the, like, intangible side of things, if you want to credit the effort and energy and stuff like that. Uh, they, they were not themselves. Yeah. However, Boston is a tougher matchup on paper. Boston's now pasted them twice. And yes, one of those games was without Siakam, Gasol, and Norman Powell. And that same shorthanded Raptors team also pasted the Celtics once. Um, but I'm wondering just, like, what did you take from that game in terms of, like, things you might be concerned about if those two teams meet up in the second round, which looks... Kind of likely. Yeah, considering Boston's most likely performance or uh, opponent is uh, Ben Simmons-less Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. And, and who knows how Joel Embiid is. It, it sounds like it's not going to be too serious with his ankle injury. Sorry, uh, before before you actually get the answer to the question that I asked you, uh, can nice. I just lay out like what I think the ideal scenario is for Raptors fans here? Uh, I mean, it's your podcast, so go ahead. It's our podcast. Yeah, no, no. Just ask me a question, then keep talking. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, as if you wouldn't do that if you were no, the, lead, the lead podcast host. It's fine, Blake. Go ahead. I'll just, so you mentioned yeah. the Simmons-less 76ers. I think the best case scenario for the Raptors is the, the Simmons-less 76ers actually beat the Celtics in the 3-6 matchup because they find some level of offense like four out around Joel Embiid and play kind of like the Van Gundy, Dwight Magic. And they don't have quite, you know, they don't have Turkoglu and Richard Lewis to execute that necessarily, but they could get a little better offensively, I think. Um, so then you would get the double edge of Celtics panic because they lost in the first round of the 76ers shorthanded. 76ers panic because, oh no, are they better without Simmons? Should They're not, but they, you know, um, should they trade Simmons and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, you get a, I think the Simmons-less 76ers are a better matchup for the Raptors than the Celtics would be. So um, you would cause 76ers and Celtics internal strife and get a slightly easier playoff opponent. That'd be a beautiful thing. That'd be a best-case uh, scenario for Raptors fans, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, Philadelphia doesn't have the shooters or playmaking to do it, but uh, I, I don't, I don't think. How dare you doubt Shake Milton and uh, the other players that they have <laughs> with all these injuries? No, uh, uh, it's funny. I saw someone tweet the other day, and I mentioned this on the Sam Facini's Game Theory podcast that, that I was on this week, and we kind of did a, a East rundown. Um, and I apologize to whoever it was because um, I can't remember who tweeted it, but if you had Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford on a team, you would pick them to finish sixth in the East, and this team also has Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and is going to finish sixth in the East. <sighs> what a Sixers year. It's like, uh, I mean, the parallels between them and the Leafs are just hilarious. It's amazing. Uh, and I know people jump on while well, the Sixers have actually got out of the first round, and I get that, but like roster construction-wise process wise what the issues are wise they're they're so similar like in terms of comparing between sports which is always a dicey proposition yes. uh, everyone they, always wants to give the leafs to the knicks but the knicks don't make the playoffs the the knicks are the oilers yes um the, i mean the oilers did have that one year where they went to the conference finals but i guess the that's the, the mellow 50 the knicks, win year. yeah the knicks did have that 54 win season uh ah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, so are you worried about the Celtics? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I am. I was before that game, and I think that game just served to prove as further <laughs> nightmare fuel, I guess, uh, let's call it. Uh, not, not to overreact, because all of those, you know, the previous games did happen. There was one close game this year that happened, like, 19 months ago. Uh, that could have gone either way. And Pascal Siakam was great in that game. Mark Gasol was really good in that game, uh, which was two things we didn't see, uh, which were two things we didn't see. Oh, no, I can't speak. In, uh, in last Friday's game. But the biggest thing I would say was they are long and athletic, and it might be tough to get Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet going in said series. Uh, I would 
guess they're going to have to rely on a lot of Pascal Siakam playmaking. Because of that, there was just, uh, it seemed like there were a lot of Lowry and Van Vliet drives that took them under the net. And then all of a sudden there was, there was just nothing going on. So they had to dribble all the way out. And then, you know, there are 10 seconds left on the clock. Uh, it's worrisome. And even Gasol, who I, I think has been largely great defensively, uh, got caught flat footed in some schemes, uh, in some, uh, defensive situations when they were beaten uh, around one of Daniel Tice's monstrous screens. Daniel Tice was really good in that game. As a he's son. good. Yeah, he's a good player. Uh, he's a good role player, knows what he's doing, knows what he's supposed to do within the context of the team. Um, so, yeah, I'm concerned. I, I, I mean, the Raptors certainly didn't throw a terribly complicated scheme out at the Celtics. Uh, they probably weren't trying quite as hard as they always do although i will say they were trying uh levels or you know very very they were trying way harder than the milwaukee bucks were yesterday let's (laughs) just try that (laughs) let's say that um uh, and i think it was evident when they were making that abbreviated comeback attempt like this wasn't a team that was trying to get slapped around it just was because the celtics are that dangerous i don't think the celtics are like 40 points better than the raptors certainly but that exposed some of the matchup uh worries and and i think those are real yeah and i think you know one of the more interesting wrinkles in a potential series and this is going to cut both ways because i think if you look at boston um especially in a playoff series against a team like toronto one of your concerns is how deep can they go and i I know they used 13 guys in that game although three of them were just garbage time um like shemi hit three of his threes in that game but is he lot like like can the raptors help off of him too much on offense in a playoff series brad wanamaker played 24 minutes in that game and was great and i love the wanamaker story but i don't know how big a role he has in this series um even robert williams like i think everyone knows i'm very fond of time lord uh and i i like him better in that backup spot for boston against toronto than i do Cantor. even though Cantor's is a huge problem on the offensive glass and has like gotten better in the the drop coverage defensively i think time lord's rim protection and vertical threat uh is a little more natural a fit opposite the raptors in a playoff series but i think if you're boston you're only you're only locked in to to six guys in major roles and kemba walker doesn't really look 100 percent through these reseeding games um so on one hand you know you're probably a little concerned uh, about the depth on boston side on the other hand the players that boston does trust are pretty well aligned to take advantage of what the Raptors defense offers up obviously they're they're all pretty good defenders as well uh, except for Kemba and you can bet that the Raptors are going to be hunting Kemba mismatches as much as they can um I think even that's even more likely than Hayward mismatches just because Hayward's gotten pretty competent on on those post-ups and stuff um but I think you know if you're if you're designing a way to beat the Raptors it's probably with a lot of shooting on the floor and, and the fact that Everyone in their rotation can shoot except for maybe Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart is such a willing shooter. Like <laughs> Marcus sure Smart, is. Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder were both Raptors opponents in recent games. And I think they're a perfect example of something Seth Partnow has written about a bunch for us at The Athletic, which is, you know, it's it's almost more important. I, I'm paraphrasing Seth's point poorly here, but but to simplify, to oversimplify. It's almost more important to be a willing three-point shooter than an effective one because a defense like the Raptors isn't going to worry that much about a guy who isn't confident shooting in the corner, whereas a Marcus Smart you kind of want to scramble out to because you know he's going to let it fly. So, you know, you see these Marcus Aller, OG, and OB half-jogs at Jay Crowder. Well, Marcus Smart, even as a, you know, a relative non-shooter percentage-wise, um, you're probably going to get out to him because you know those shots are going up and he you know he's settled in as like a 35 percent three-point shooter the last two years so it's not nothing either uh although he did go 0-5 in that game so um I do think that surrounding you know whether it's Tatum whether it's Kemba having a lot of shooting around those guys even Tice can hit the corner three um 
you know, I do think that that can introduce some problems for the Raptors. And they got buried in this game, despite the Celtics only shooting 35% on their threes. And they went 10 of 16 in the corners, which probably isn't sustainable, but also 6 of 30 above the break probably isn't sustainable. So, um, you know, I don't, that's not even a defensive performance. You can hang on three point shooting variants. So, um, definitely some concerns there. Within that, you know, from that game, you wrote about Pascal Siakam. Siakam was 5 of 15, zero free throw attempts, zero assists, uh, 11 points, and two turnovers in that one. He did have the only other game he played against Boston this year was the second game of the season. He had 33-8-2 and two in that one. Uh, a little bit of turnover trouble still, but he was more aggressive getting into the paint. Um, he obviously hit 5 of 7 on threes, which helps that line a little bit. Um, but Siakam has been a little uneven in the return to play here. Over six games, he's averaging 17.2 points, which is fine. He's only averaging 33 minutes, so he's still, you know, around 18 per 36, a little higher than that. Um, So I guess where the concern comes in is, one, he's been really reliant on the three to get those points. It's great that he has the pull-up three and the the above-the-break three in his bag now. We've already seen how um, helpful that can be late in a game, how helpful that can be when a team is, you know, guarding his ability to drive a lot better. But he's only shooting 40% overall. He's only averaging three and a half free throw attempts. He's only averaging two assists to two and a half turnovers. Um, I don't want to dump on him because I thought, I thought process-wise, there's some good stuff. He's passed out of post-ups well. Um, he's not really forcing it. Like, he hasn't had a game where, you know, maybe the Lakers game, he pressed a little too much. And the Orlando game, he had some turnovers, but but scored at a decent rate. Um, but I guess it's just, it's not that he's been bad necessarily, but he hasn't been the Siakam that he's shown flashes of a lot this season. And he definitely hasn't been the Siakam yet that the Raptors will need him to be when you look to the second round and forward. And I think the Boston game highlighted that because however you feel about Siakam versus Jason Tatum right now, and obviously that's something I I wrote a lot about during the, during the offseason, those two and Ben Simmons and how they stack up in the East. Um, I think Tatum's a little bit ahead right now, and I think in that game, even though Tatum didn't take over offensively or anything, what you saw was a guy who's a little bit more comfortable using that defensive attention to help his teammates out. Um, I also think Siakam has a higher defensive ceiling than Tatum, but Tatum has been a little more even and consistent this year, especially in the relaunch. Um, but Eric, I guess what I'm asking is, what do you have a concern level with Siakam? Is this just him getting his footing and ramping up, or... You know, are we obviously this was one of our big talking points of the hiatus of is where can he go as the number one guy and where can the Raptors go with him as the number one guy? Not long term because he's still got plenty, plenty of time to figure all this out. But in the short term here is the playoffs are two games away. Yeah, if I had to isolate my concerns with Siakam, it's probably as a attacker from the perimeter. Uh, I think that's where a lot of the mistakes are coming and Look, it's, you know, the dude has really long arms and that puts all the more pressure on your handle to be very, very tight because it's easier to steal a ball from a guy whose arms spread out to seven foot two or whatever they do than it is from Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet. Who have yeah, just, like, just ask the Raptors how, <laughs> how easy it is to get in under the hands of a big. <laughs> yeah, who, you know, Fred Van Vliet. Who did he take the ball from the other game against Memphis? Uh, oh, Anthony Tolliver. Uh, poor Anthony Tolliver forced to play 30 minutes and left out there to die at the end of that game. I, I love Anthony Tolliver as a role player. I just think, like, he's done his job for so long. He should be applauded, and, it, like, he's... He's done it pretty well for a bunch of middling teams, but yeah, he he, he is was uh, he's certainly a member of the Kenneth Farid All Stars of should the Raptors trade for this guy or should the Raptors try to sign this guy on the buyout market? Oh, I thought they should have done that uh, this year, um, but obviously Anthony Tolliver went somewhere where he's going to play thirty minutes a game. So yeah. plus, if you're on. the Raptors, you know you need that roster space to not play Malcolm Miller even on a night when you only have twelve guys dressed and. Stanley Johnson is playing oh, as Stanley Johnson does. Some saltiness. Um, Look, Stanley Johnson has the best net rating on the Ross, on the team since the relaunch. So who am I? Who am I to doubt Stanley Johnson? Point uh, Stanley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's where we've seen most of the issues. Like Siakam got going a bit there in the third quarter against Boston, and it mostly came from concerted efforts to get him, get him going in the post. And I think... 
you know, he's not always been great from the post this year, but he has that co- those collection of spin moves and pivots that make him a really effective player. And, and if you want to be optimistic about what he can do against the Celtics, you look at those first few minutes from the third quarter uh, and see how he found a way to score. And as you said, he's generally looked good passing out of the post and uh, even against the Bucks on Monday, he was sort of taking the, the ball down the court and getting in the post right away uh, by himself. And then, you know, uh, help was coming and he was moving it. And so if you want that, that's, I don't know if it's progress, but it's confirmed, uh, confirmed that he's definitely taken a step since last year from there, uh, let's say. But I think it's fair to worry about his handle and it's fair to worry about his decision-making when he does put the ball on the floor and, uh, like the Raptors, Boston has a lot of smart defenders. Uh, some of those smart defenders are literally named smart. Um, they also have longer arms than the Raptors, uh, some of the Raptors defenders do, and there's going to be a lot of swiping at, at his uh, dribble. And if it's loose, that's going to result in turnovers. So um, I, I think that's an issue. It's a, an issue the Raptors are going to have to game plan uh, with in mind. Uh, you hope that... Siakam can tighten it up in these last two games, I, I assume, or, or not two games, also the, also the playoff games, although Brooklyn plays a very different style than, than Boston would play. Um, but it's, it's, you know, if you're thinking about Siakam both short-term and long-term, I think that's the issue, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, the Raptors can do some stuff to, to help him out a little bit more. Um, you know, we're going to see in a playoff series more Siakam guard pick and roll, which is very effective when they go to it. And it's kind of a late game staple. And, and Siakam does have this, you know, monstrous efficiency and usage in the clutch. So that's encouraging. Um, there are process sideways that they can make this a little easier on him and, and start to tick upwards. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if worry is the right word, but it's certainly like entering the bubble. We said that that was the number one thing to watch with this Raptors team because their half court offense is their biggest weakness. And, you know, despite good numbers out of timeouts and good numbers in the clutch, you know, how this looks over the 70 possessions you have to play a game in the half court is a is a big question, especially if transition opportunities shrink in the playoffs as they did last year. So, yeah, I, um, and I, I, I would worry just in the context of the Celtics, because mm-hmm. it's so hard for Lowry and Van Vliet to create those opportunities or, or com- not so hard, but comparatively hard for them to act as facilitators in the same way that they normally do because of all the length that they face once they do get into the paint. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a concern. That's not to say the Celtics don't have concerns when they play the Raptors, but exactly. but the, these are two really good teams. <laughs> and and that's uh, that's sort of where I stand with that. And uh, I mean, we sh- <laughs> I think they should have a good long series to figure it out. <laughs> and it will be very educational. Sure will be. Before we get back to the show, let's take a minute to hear about Indochino. Uh, the Raptors, let's be a little more positive for a minute here. The Raptors are 5-1 and one in the bubble. Um, they are the best defense in the bubble so far, I think, qualitatively, and then also statistically by a huge margin. Uh, they are allowing only 99.5 points per 100 possessions. The next closest defense is allowing five more points per 100 possessions. That's even larger than the season-long gap between the Bucks and Raptors for one and two in defensive rating. Um, yes, they got the Magic and the Grizzlies in there, but they also played the Bucks and the Celtics and the Heat and the Lakers. And they've had, you know, we talked a lot coming in here about how this was going to be a good schedule uh, to test them and get ready. And they've been terrific on defense. Um, what hasn't been terrific is that a lot of their success has been isolated to the starting lineup of Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, and Gasol. Um, even after pounding on the Bucks as a as a starter in in kind of that shorthanded game on Monday, Norman Powell has a pretty sizable negative net rating uh, in the in the bubble so far. Serge Ibaka didn't have the benefit 
of that Bucks game, but he has a, a large negative as well. Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis Jefferson have also uh, posted large negative net ratings, and, and obviously all of this stuff is super noisy in a six-game window, um, especially when you get the bench guys that aren't playing a lot of minutes and stuff. But I'm wondering, Eric, if you are if you're concerned that the Raptors rotation right now to hear Nick Nurse tell it, even after strong performances from Matt Thomas and Chris Boucher on Monday, looks like a seven, maybe eight-man rotation. And until the last two games, Powell and Ibaka really hadn't been going. Yeah, you'd like to see more players <laughs> performing well. I, I, I... Only having five players playing well is... Is a concern. Okay. Yeah. Good, good to know. Um, I mean, Nurse said as much after the Boston game. I mean, he basically didn't want to say anything about the Boston game. It, it was sort of strange in terms of a guy who is generally pretty candid with us, which we appreciate. Uh, but he didn't want to lend too much credence to anything that happened in that contest. But, but yeah, like you're going to – it's hard to find transitional units if you don't have more than five players who are playing well. <laughs> um, and that's something you wrote about, uh, I believe, before the bubble. Uh, time is, you know, a mystery. I think it was before the bubble uh, or just before the first game, uh, rather. You um, could tell me I wrote something in mid-March or last week at this point, and yeah, I don't exactly. I would believe you. Yeah, you wrote about it at some point. It was – it was informative. Go search it. Go search for it. <laughs> it was uh, right before. The, it it was, was, uh, yeah, anyway. It was uh, during the scrimmage games. Ah, uh, yes. The scrimmage games. And boy, does that Raptors loss to Phoenix look understandable now. Um, also, I know that we can't do this because it would skew regular season numbers that are going to be important in retrospect. But I really wish that instead of those games having counted as preseason and these games counting as regular season. Like, I really wish we could look at stats that were just bubble, bubble games stats. plus scrimmages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. bubble stats. Anyway. Uh, I'm sure some genius has those numbers. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sure Jacob Goldstein will get them for me if I really ask. Oh, yeah, you don't want to use those privileges uh, willy-nilly. Not for though. something like this. I say I save those asks for things like G League player impact plus minus. <laughs> How else would I be so high on plus 20.7 net rating and infinite foul rate, Paul Watson? <laughs> infinite free throw rate, I should say. He's not fouling. Yeah, He's just um, living at the line. But yeah, like individually, am I concerned about Powell and Ibaka? Not that much. Like Powell looked really good against the box. He showed signs of life. Um against the uh, whatever team that was, the Grizzlies. And uh, I think his process has been pretty good. Like, he's missing some layups that he hit earlier in the year. And I think, as we said at this time last week and maybe at this time two weeks ago, uh, he's probably not a 50-40-90 guy. So for some of that, those looks to not be falling isn't a huge surprise. And I think he's, he's doing pretty well. And Ibaka is sort of looked like the guy he was last year when Marc Gasol was, you know, I think what we have to remember about Serge Ibaka is that he was essentially the starting center for large portions of this year because Gasol missed uh, upwards of, uh, you know, around 30 games. Uh, uh, so it's a lot. And when you think about it, and when you think about the Bucks game as a whole, it's a lot easier to get into a groove either in a single game or in many games, when you have certainty in role and certainty in minutes and, and those roles are just bigger. Uh, now Ibaka has to come off the bench and figure out how to be impactful there. And what we saw last year is some games will be really good at that. He'll come in as a defensive spark and he'll uh, be running the floor and uh, his shot will look good. Um, and some games he will be flat and you'll be wanting Gasol back in there immediately. And I think, you know, you, you would hope that Ibaka's shooting carries over more than that and that he can be a more immediate threat coming off the bench. But, you know, his track record says that might be a little too much to ask. So I, I, I'd say if there was one of the seven guys who I'm most concerned about, it's probably Ibaka right now. Um, but I, I think he'll more or less be fine. Uh, and the, yeah, the, like eight through 10 or eight through 11, other than Matt Thomas, who's great now, um, like that's a concern. I, I think you wanted to see Terrence Davis pick off, pick up where he left off. 
He certainly hasn't. I thought he made a, a few really good process plays against the Bucks, and, and that's promising. Uh, he was also active in terms of his energy, you know, with a few tip-ins and even a, missed layups, but he, he was doing the right things uh, in transition, and that's sort of what they need him to be. So if he can settle into that role, that goes a long way toward calming things down, but he just hasn't been good yet, and... Uh, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is just problematic to fit in offensively. And I think we've seen that and that, you know, I fear will only lay itself bare in the, in the playoffs. I don't know, man. I, I really dig the Hollis-Jefferson-Lowry inverted pick and roll where Lowry sets a screen below the free throw line <laughs> and it just lets Hollis-Jefferson drive basically into extra bodies, but Lowry's in the way so no one can get a hand on the shot. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, I do like the notion of like Matt Thomas playing a career game against Milwaukee and then like them giving him the game ball or something. Uh, this didn't happen, by the way, uh, but then saying... We're going to have to give to fine you your game salary because you passed up a shot to give it to Rondé in the corner. Sorry about that. Enjoy the game ball. I believe Rondé <laughs> took an above the break three last night, too. Yeah, I which, think uh, so. If you remember earlier in the year, he got immediately pulled from a game <laughs> for doing that. <sighs> he's fun. He's, he's active. And like. I, I, you know, and like he's got to get it going because against Milwaukee, like if they get to the conference finals, like you want him to not be cold and rusty because like you probably need him for a couple minutes against Giannis here and there. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like the Raptors rotation has no non-shooters in it. It does have some of those guys who we were talking about earlier who are not necessarily guys who love to shoot. Um, I'm talking mostly about Marcus Gasol here, but even sometimes OG Ananobi is hesitant to take the open shot. And, you know, on his worst days, that can happen to Kyle Lowry, too. Um, but, Kyle Lowry, uh, the, the worst shooter in the Raptors rotation, by the way, this yeah. year. Um, but I think if having no non-shooters should make it easier for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson to fit in on, on offense. Because he does have some gifts there. Like, despite he his... despite He's his six, Yeah, despite his six turnovers, and most of which came in, like, him being the prime, <laughs> you know, ball handler or, or playmaker on, on the perimeter against the Bucks. Like, he's a good passer. He's an intuitive player. He's a good cutter, you know, which could make him work well with uh, Gasol. That, that's sorry, sorry to cut you off. That's something that I love. Like, be, I love a, being cut off because it means I don't have to finish a sentence. Go yeah, on. Yeah, I mean we have, but we do have like a decent sample, and this is one of the things that I went into in in that. You know, when I tried to break down what a rotation would look like with different transitional lineups, is we have a good sample that Hollis Jefferson and Abaka is an awkward fit, and I think like not only do the numbers in a smaller sample say Hollis Jefferson and Gasol can work, I think intuitively they just make more sense together. And I know, I know Hollis Jefferson's actual playoff role is probably like like the clearest path might be if the Raptors go to like a Siakam Ananobi Hollis Jefferson front court at some point uh, or one of those even larger lineups. But I think if you can find a way to get him out there with Gasol instead of Ibaka, and, and, you know, obviously you don't redesign the whole rotation yeah. around Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, but I think there's a good case that Gasol could see more minutes helping those bench units anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, like, let's not contort our entire rotation around Rondé Hollis-Jefferson's needs, but but at some point it does circle back to the team's needs, and you can't afford those five-minute, you know, stretches where you struggle to score against really good teams in the playoffs. Um, So these are the things that will have to be considered and that... Hopefully, Nick Nurse and his staff are thinking about in the back of their minds, but like you don't need to see implemented immediately other than to give them some reps so they're not doing these things for the first time in, you know, game three against Boston. Yeah. Uh, Okay. so in terms of these back rotation battles, uh, we know the top seven. Eight was presumed a Terrence Davis-Patrick McCaw battle. Patrick McCaw has left the bubble to have a benign mass removed from his left knee for the second time this year. Uh, So for the foreseeable future, that is a Terrence uh, Davis-Matt Thomas kind of battle. I don't think Boucher or Hollis Jefferson has made any real headway ahead of the other. Like, obviously, Boucher had the game of his life on Monday, but it wasn't, you know... 
it was a Chris Boucher twenty five point um, game uh, output in a in a game that didn't matter. I don't know, Blake. I, you said it was important to have willing shooters out there. It is, um, <laughs> but I, I mostly just mean that like Hollis Jefferson and Boucher. Your decision on which of those two to play in a playoff series is probably almost entirely matchup dependent anyway. Yes. yes. Um, so I don't know that Boucher could like, even if he was averaging 20 in these games, I don't know that that would fundamentally change, you know, when Hollis Jefferson might see uh, a window. So I guess the, the biggest question coming out of the Milwaukee game, and it's something again, that I wrote about heading into the bubble and we've talked about a little bit, but what can Matt Thomas do or what can the Raptors do to get him on the floor in a playoff series? Because we've seen his team defense improve. We know he's going to be surrounded usually by four quality defenders. Uh, opponents will attack him, but you can survive that a little bit. He's obviously not, you know, a plus defender, but the the Rockets didn't score on possessions where he was on Harden and where he was on Westbrook. Eric Gordon kind of had his way, but... You can scheme around it a little bit. And then on offense, you know, he's such a game changer with his spacing and his shooting. Uh, I think my my biggest request for these last two games is that Matt Thomas get nine more three-point attempts. Because if you remember earlier in the year when I kept artificially depressing the three-point cutoff to 75 attempts uh, so I could fit Matt Thomas on the leaderboards, uh, that would get him to 100 attempts. And 100 is a nice round number that I can at least justify. <laughs> uh, and it won't look quite as much like I just put the cutoff at wherever Matt Thomas is. Is he going to qualify uh, for the leaderboards? No, but he could qualify better for my unofficial ones. Okay, so that's what's yes. important. Yes, so yeah. he's 43 of 91 right now, which is 47.3%. I thought against the Bucks, he showed kind of what I tried to highlight in that pre-bubble breakdown, which is uh, he's not just a catch-and-shoot yeah. guy. He does have that push-ahead move. He can come off a screen. You know, he, we saw him take advantage of the Bucks' drop coverage uh, a couple of times, and he can make a pass too. So I think offensively, we can, we're at a point now where we can start thinking of Thomas as more than just a catch-and-shoot specialist. Um, he's just a good offensive player and, and maybe could even have, uh, you know, a little bit more pick-and-roll handling in, in those units that lack it. Uh, but the big question is still going to be how much can you play him on defense? So I, I'm, I'm wondering where you're at with Thomas, Eric, and whether you could see him carving out more than like four or five minutes in a playoff series. I mean, if everybody's healthy, it, it's difficult to see that game in and game out, uh, at least once we're getting to the the bigger series, uh, you know, uh, later in the playoffs. But I think we're getting there, you know? Like, I, like Brooklyn, certainly, like, without <laughs> however many players they're missing, there's just fewer guys that you're worried about them hunting matchups for. Like, if, you know, it's one thing if they can get it to Karis Levert, to uh, to make that happen, but uh, you know anybody else? Like I'm, I'm really not overly concerned about them looking to find that matchup, and I don't think that's the way Brooklyn really wants to play anyway. Is matchup hunting? Um, You're not worried about the Justin Anderson revenge game? Uh, I mean, perpetually, sure, but uh, I, I think if that's the path that the Nets are going to take, then I think you have to begrudgingly let them take it. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, you want to see how he performs in these last two games for sure. But he's he's certainly showed enough. His basketball IQ goes both ways. And he's definitely more limited defensively. And again, like just picturing him in that Boston series would be a nightmare just because, you know, they have three or four guys who you'd hate to be able to ISO on him. But a, a, a team that's less dangerous on the perimeter, uh, he... It's an easier fit. So I don't think much is going to change on that end other than to say if Terrence Davis doesn't improve defensively. And I don't think he's been terrible, but he also fouled out in 17 minutes, which isn't promising. Um, uh, like, I think his game was actually pretty good against the Bucks, but six fouls in 17 minutes is six fouls in 17 minutes, as they say. Um, I'm not sure who they is. But uh, if he continues to be unreliable on that end, which is the major concern, uh, I would say, it's going to put Thomas in a more feasible playing situation, whether Nurse elects to go just with a straight seven plus Ronde cameos in that scenario, we'll have to see. But given the offensive 
struggles that they've been having and, and that that was the concern heading into the bubble was their half-court offense, they uh, might be behooved to find a, you know, 10-minute role for Matt Thomas in, in certain uh, matchups. So Was that wishy-washy uh, to, enough? No, yeah, to kind of wrap this up and take us back to, to close on the Nets before we do a, a series preview podcast later in the week, I guess the biggest thing I'm curious about trying to put myself in Nick Nurse's shoes is we've had three scrimmages and six reseeding games, and it really hasn't offered any clarity on the bench questions that we came into Orlando with. The Raptors are going to be favored significantly against the Nets. I think right now I'd probably pick Raptors in five just because the Nets shoot so many threes. You could probably high variance your way into a win in like a game. Karis LeVert scores 35 and uh, the guys around him shoot 45% or whatever. Um, But the Raptors are going to be very big favorites with only two reseeding games left and a need to figure out some of this back rotation stuff um, for the second round and beyond. Eric, do you think it would be too risky or too hubristic to enter the net series planning to have a deeper rotation so that you can get more information on some of these guys in a playoff environment? Not that Brooklyn is going to be, like you said, the test that a Boston or Philly or, or whoever is going to be. But it's still they're still playoff games and they're still games where you're going to be seeing the same opponent multiple times and they can, um, you know, Jacques Vaughn is, is coaching for his job and, and is going to try to do as good a job as he can. And they have some dangerous players. Are Would you be okay going into this series thinking, hey, we're they're going to run nine, maybe ten guys out there and see how they look and see what sticks? Or if you're a nurse, are you just, you know, hey, it's playoffs. I'm shrinking it to the seven guys I trust and then um, match up specialty beyond that. Shoot, until like you're trailing in the series, I, I, I mean... That's a bit extreme, but until you lose, maybe like that's a fine approach. I think um, we'll see what again. There are two more games left. I don't know how much the regulars are going to play. I imagine a little bit. I don't think they'll want Lowry or Van Vliet's or, or Abaka's last game to have been uh, to have been more than a week before the playoffs start. So maybe maybe they do get some more time against. Denver and Philadelphia, and then you find out how those bench players fit in in what might be more of a realistic rotation. Because that's sort of the problem with projecting from the Milwaukee game is, you know, Matt Thomas playing great in a 37-minute role doesn't necessarily help you that much in how he might fit in in a 12-minute role. Uh, So I think you want to see some of that while, like, keeping... Lowry and Van Vliet and Siakam, hopefully below 30 minutes or, or whatever it might be. But yeah, like this, they should be confident going into the Brooklyn series. And, you know, after they lose game one, maybe <laughs> you tighten things up. But I think the idea of going in with nine or 10 guys isn't a bad one in that series. And, and I think you have to be willing to acknowledge the context of the season for what it is. It's not a normal season. They don't, didn't have a normal run up to the playoffs and they, you know, they're really good. I think this whole season has proven that like it's the notion of them losing four times in in seven games to a clearly inferior opponent is preposterous because the Raptors are really good against inferior opponents. <laughs> uh, so I, I think you can be confident in yourselves and look to see what makes sense. And saying all of that, I'm not sure how much multiple games against Brooklyn prepare you for multiple games against uh, Boston, but it's what you have and you need to use the resources at your disposal. Brooklyn, by the way, has uh, 13 guys out on their latest injury report. So, uh... <laughs> they are one of the zoniest teams, I believe. And yes. uh, that w- I don't know if that's played out in the bubble that much. Uh, I think I heard Spolstra talking about how they zoned up the heat a lot. I have to be real. I haven't seen a lot of Nets basketball. Apparently, they've been inspiring. Um, yeah, they've been fun. Uh, the Cinderella Nets. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you. We, everyone knows that we are... Karis Levert fans on this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, Jared Allen's kind of fun. Joe Harris is 
you know, the, the world's best shooter who's also a, a big indie pro wrestling fan. Um, do they have Justin Anderson? That's cool. Yeah. The Raptors are better yes. than them, and they should yeah. be confident in being better than them because they're better than most teams. And yeah, I don't know about Tyler Johnson, 30 minutes in a playoff series, but we're going to talk about that more in our uh, series preview podcast. The man threw up when he got a $50 million contract offer. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Although I might uh, too. Not a great contract, though. Yeah, well, good for him. All right. Um, the Raptors have two games remaining. They play the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday. That'll be the second game of a back-to-back for the 76ers. We don't know if Joel Embiid will play. Uh, he is out Tuesday. Um, I'd imagine they're going to take that pretty cautious, and I, I I doubt that they have a huge preference between the five seed and the six seed. They may, If they think they're going to be good with Embiid, they might even prefer the six seed because you avoid Milwaukee's side of the bracket. But I think the 76ers are just trying to survive right now. Uh, and then the Raptors will wrap up against Denver on Friday at 1.30 p.m. Denver uh, still jockeying for seeding a little bit, but looks like the likely three seed at West. Uh, those are, I would expect a couple Raptors to rest. Uh, maybe not in the Denver game. Maybe Denver ends up being one of those, like, uh, they play the first two quarters and the first six minutes of the third quarter just to stay fresh or whatever. Um, but also, if the first playoff game is Monday, maybe, maybe they just don't want guys playing in that one. Um, the lack of schedule clarity... Uh, confuses that to some degree. But I I don't think either of those games will be uh, terribly informative, but I think the stuff we talked about today with the bench guys and Siakam are are the biggest things to look for because um, Siakam is going to have some pretty good defenders on him in those games. Um, The Raptors' defense is still going to get tested against Denver. If Jokic plays and Jamal Murray plays, you know, we we saw the Raptors try to combat that with no center, earlier in the year um who knows maybe Gasol and Ibaka both sit and we just get a, another OG on Jokic game um <laughs> anyway I don't think they'll be too too informative but as was the case with these six games so far and the three scrimmage games uh you're looking for stuff at the individual player level and there's still a lot to figure out with the bench we will be back to preview the first round series between the Raptors and Nets later this week or very very early next week um, I think that podcast will come out Monday morning at the very latest so keep your eyes out for that uh, if you want more on the top of the east I did appear on Sam Vecini's game theory podcast uh, on Monday which you can check out we kind of hit on the the top six teams in the east a lot of Raptors talk um, but some some TJ Warren love and some some 76ers confusion mixed in there as well so uh, go check that out Eric Kareen Thank you for this, man. Blake, it is usually a pleasure. Is that to say it wasn't this time? No, it was this time. Oh. Well, you said it usually is. And it usually is. Okay. Including this time. All right. Well, thanks, man. I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon for that preview podcast with Alex. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya.